0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Welcome to the drill down. We've got business stories behind stocks that are move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 132. And with a special edition today, we've got Thanksgiving turkeys, that's right. Some of the biggest losers of the last year, including Peloton, that pandemic darling running out of steam, and a plan which does not seem to have a plan, and the kind of incredible story of a company being investigated by the Justice Department, hearing aid maker Eargo, which also saw its stock collapse, will have all that, and one happy story. An interesting story of Planet Labs looking at uh, a SPAC IPO coming soon. We're going to talk to the CEO, Will Marshall. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down
0: is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's Era.
1: A I E R A dot com. And it is good to listen to the Drill Down podcast, it is better to subscribe do the Drill Down podcast. And you can do that on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, you name it. But hit the subscribe button to make sure you catch every show. And the drill down is brought to you by BrainTrust,
0: a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. BrainTrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more.
1: All right, we are with the drill down right now, looking at business stories behind stocks on a move. Joining me, as always, executive producer Isaac Webster from uh, lovely Southern California. How is lovely Southern California?
0: Sunny LA. It's sunny today. I'm very. Is it sunny up in the Bay?
1: It actually is a beautiful day in the Bay Area today. Uh, we're going to have a lovely Thanksgiving. Uh, it's been kind of nice all week. Nice. Uh, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Are they coming to take you away? <laughs> I don't know. We should wait till they pass. Too, should we? <laughs> I no, know, I man. like it. It's, it's it's perfect for this Thanksgiving turkey edition of the Drill Down podcast. I like it because these stocks have all been taken out to the cleaners. All the companies we're going to look at today have seen a massive decline in their share prices. Why don't we start with Peloton? Peloton. Now, you know, I ride my Peloton almost every day. I didn't know this, actually. I was wondering when I started working on this today, because you seem like you you uh, a are you are you're incredibly fit and it's a Oh, You're thank Peloton you. Peloton kind of guy, but I didn't know if you had also moved on from the Peloton as investors have. I have
0: not moved on, even though we have also invested in a tonal, but I am still a huge Peloton fan. So, full disclosure there. Well, you uh, say Pel- you've
1: invested in a tonal. Well, you we mean have you a bought a tonal.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: How is that? An We've new investment? invested
0: in ourselves by buying oh, a tonal. Jesus. <laughs> that was a good commercial, and they're not paying me. So, who knows? So, Peloton, though. I am a huge Peloton fan, um, but this story that you're about to tell um, is very disheartening as a Peloton writer. Uh, Peloton trades under P-T-O-N and shares have plummeted around 58% lower in a year. Yeah,
1: I mean, you you can love the product and not like the company or not want to own the stock. And some stocks maybe get expensive because the companies aren't doing well. Maybe all of the people who wanted a Peloton got a Peloton. Uh, certainly, we've seen a huge fall off uh, in the uh, growth perspective of the company. Um, they obviously, so they obviously, so what's happened in the last year, right? So we had huge sales of Pelotons uh, going in, you know, an IPO right before the pandemic, people buying Pelotons desperately trying to find some way to stay in shape uh, as gyms were closed throughout the pandemic. But then we started to see a real slowdown in their business. And um, quarterly sales were actually down in the fourth quarter compared to the third quarter, uh, the fiscal fourth quarter um and down again the subsequent quarter uh they had the problems with their treadmill uh the pro- uh, some lawsuits over injuries to the treadmill when they were trying to expand their business beyond the uh, the bicycles that sold so well um and uh when these problems hit the company it looked like a big problem indeed of course they also were big victims of uh and, uh, and continue to be big victims of the problems getting uh parts for their to make their bikes they want to have to build a factory what they're calling their Peloton Output Park, or POP, which is ridiculous. They can't call it a factory? Maybe they can do a live show from the POP. Yeah. Well, the POP uh, build-out is a very expensive one for a company without a lot of money. So in the most recent quarter, things are so bad. uh, We heard the chief financial officer, uh, Jill Woodworth, actually talking about whether or not they even had enough money to do all the things that they wanted to do and whether they actually had a need to raise additional capital Um, coming out very clearly and saying they did not have that need. Of course, just a few weeks afterward, they announced they were going to have to go out and sell some more stock to raise some more capital. But in the last conference call uh, on November 4th, we did, in fact, hear Jill Woodworth talking about um, cutting to the chase when asked the question, are they going to need to raise additional capital? Are they going to be able to make the investments in their POP, in their factory? And is the problem treadmills, or is it just people don't want to buy these bikes anymore? Here's Jill Woodworth.
2: Cutting to the chase, we don't see the need for any additional capital raise based on our current outlook. As we mentioned, we're taking significant steps to adjust our expenses across COGS and OPEX um, with this revised revenue guidance. And we have a lot of levers to pull Um, In addition, what we're also going to do is reevaluate the cadence of some of the capital investments that we're making inclusive of POP. And while we know that POP is a decades-long right-term strategic move for us, there are definitely ways for us to find uh, ways to to make that a more economical spend over the next couple of years. Um, In terms of your first question, um, certainly I would say as we think about the three or four contributors to the reduction of guide, I would say, you know, bike portfolio um, is the largest um, and that is obviously a decrease um, in the demand profile.
1: So let's think about what she just said there. The, the uh, reduction of guide means we're going to have less revenues. The uh, decrease in the demand profile, Means no one wants to buy the bikes. Is that, is that really that hard to say? Well, I mean, you know, these
0: bikes are expensive. They're not cheap. And they're not for everybody. And the treadmills are also. So I feel like there's, there are possibly a limited amount of people in the world that the, this is
1: going to appeal to. Possibly?
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm trying well, to be very cautious about what it's I say. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> um, they, uh, yeah. So that's what we see uh, with that reduction in the stock price. That's what we see from the reduction in the guide and the decrease in the demand profile for Peloton. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Anaplan, a stock that has collapsed this Thanksgiving week. Uh, Now, I'm not
0: familiar with Anaplan. I don't ride an Anaplan every day like I do Peloton. But Anaplan trades under PLAN plan, and shares have fallen 34% over the past 12 months.
1: Uh, Indeed, they have, and indeed, uh, uh, in the last uh, week, they're down about 27% um, and a plan and and trading at a 52-week low. Uh, This was, again, was an $85 stock about a year ago, now it's trading at $44. Um, This stock uh, has collapsed because the business has stopped growing as fast as it had been. This is one of those hot, hot, hot software as a service companies selling business planning software. That's why it's in a plan business planning software. People uh, at these businesses do indeed ride that plan. Uh, but the growth profile, you know, on some counts, this just looked like a great, uh, you know, revenues were up, customers were up, uh, billings were up. But the pace of billings growth, which is what, you know, this is, a, this is a money losing company, right? It's a profit-free company, profit-free fast-growing tech company. Well, the billings growth slowed down and that was a concern. Uh, and the company, you know, billings had been growing at about 30%. The quarter they just reported, billings of $183 million were growing at just 26%. Now they're warning that billings next quarter only be about 23.5%. And then more more importantly, or to me, this is always the big tell. Now they're saying, yeah, I don't look at billings. In fact, we're going to stop giving you forecasts of billings starting next quarter. Don't look at billings anymore. You really shouldn't even look at how many deals we do in any quarter. You should look at like 12-month trailing basis. And from that perspective, you know, just look at things the way we want you to look at them and they will look a whole lot better. Here is the Anaplan CFO, Vikas Mehta, talking about how their deals actually work and how he would prefer that we look at those deals.
2: What we typically see is that our, uh, our deals are generally, you know, take six to 12 months in terms of sales, sales cycles. Uh, and that is why we have recommended looking at trailing 12 months uh, as a much better indicator of the underlying growth uh, we talked about that in the prepared remarks also uh, but if you look at it from that perspective uh, our billings growth was 32% and our crpo bookings growth was 30% on a trailing 12 month basis uh, so overall uh, pleased with the results uh, and we remain confident uh, and uh, in terms of our pipeline and the outlook and that is the reason why we even raised our guide going into fy you know, twenty three as well as uh, and ending the year fi twenty two.
1: So, don't look at the new numbers. Just give bigger weight to the old numbers, and then we'll look better. That was the take from this company. Um, is anyone falling for that? The stock price suggests not. Um, I, you know, another turkey for your Thanksgiving, Isaac. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Someone had to say it, right? No, no one had to say that. <laughs> Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Irgo, a former uh, unicorn from Silicon Valley, publicly traded as of last October. That is about 13 months ago. Irgo. All right. Narumi
0: reminded me today that unicorns aren't real. So just a reminder. Your daughter for reminded us
1: unicorns are not real? Yeah. Well, neither um, was Irgo's growth, apparently, but <laughs> please.
0: Irgo trades under EAR, E A R, and shares have fallen 86%
1: in a year. Yeah, this was a company that had a, it's got a great ticker, right? Ear. Yeah, can can. Maybe that yeah. right there, that's a, that's something to be worried about. Uh, this is a company, uh, year ago that had a, you know, better than a $2 billion market cap a year ago. Now it's got a $230 million market cap. A massive collapse in this company so soon after its IPO. Here's how it sounded exciting. And if you look at like Engadget and all the tech geeks, they love this stuff, right? It was a virtually invisible hearing aid, medical grade Hearing aids that consumers want to use, they would say, in their prospectus, citing that hearing loss is the third most common medical condition in the U.S. after, um, I don't know, what do you think, Isaac? Uh, FOMO? Uh, possibly, yeah. Is FOMO. that a medical condition? Uh, Cancer? I, it, can't, it is in some diabetes. circles. Yeah. Uh, FOMO is not the same as diabetes, I don't think. No, it is not. No one's got FOMO regarding diabetes, unless I guess you of missing out when you don't want the diabetes. <laughs> um, uh, diabetes, cancer, hearing loss, third most common most common uh, medical conditions in the U.S. Irgo liked to talk about th- that total addressable market. Irgo liked to talk about the underserved market of people with hearing loss of 43 million adults and 465 million adults globally, 43 million in the U.S. Yeah, that was cute. Well, uh, some problems started to occur as they reported earnings. And I'm going to try to give this to you chronologically as the stock started to drift. So they reported a fine June quarter, but if you looked through the balance sheet, you would have noticed that receivables jumped big time. Now again, these guys sell hearing aids. Hearing aids are often are expensive, $2,000, $3,000 for a set of hearing aids. Um, and you can adjust these with your iPhone. That was what was supposedly so cool about these uh, these Eargo hearing aids. Well, receivables, which is to say customers who uh, haven't yet paid for a product, went from $5 million in the March quarter to $15 million in the June quarter. And it was a question, kind of, well, what's going on there? Well, in August, when they filed their 10Q, buried in the details of that 10Q, they explained that there was a claims audit by their largest third-party payer. And so all of a sudden, 80% of gross accounts receivable by the end of June were one customer that was auditing what the heck all these bills were coming from Irgon if they needed to be paid. And because of that audit, they hadn't been paid from that customer since March 31st. Well, in September, they uh, talked to a Wells Fargo healthcare conference, CEO Christian Gormson, and I'm gonna play the sound from the CEO what he had to say about that audit and why it wasn't getting resolved faster. But about two weeks after the soundbite, which I'm about to play for you, about two weeks afterwards, uh, apparently the company that was doing the audit said, yeah, don't talk to us anymore. Talk to the Justice Department. My dog just got very upset about that. Did you hear that? Wow, that was a right on cue, Nikki. Talk to the Justice Department. Well done, Nikki. My dog might have a run in with the Justice Department soon. Uh, yes, so the Justice Department apparently has taken over this probe of these billings, and indeed, the company is now being investigated. Ergo is being investigated for insurance fraud specifically insurance claims they submitted on behalf of customers covered by federal employee health plans. Now, it's alleged only at this point, but investors have certainly sold the stock. The company has withdrawn all of its guidance. They couldn't even file their quarterly documents on time. Their 10Q couldn't be filed for the most recent quarter. They didn't even do an earnings conference call at their um, annual meeting of investors. They also didn't take any questions at all, saying they couldn't answer any questions about the probe. But here is Christian Gormanson, Uh, when asked about, well, why has this, this client uh, audit taken so long? Shouldn't this thing be wrapped up by now? Here he is talking just two weeks before we find out this thing had actually been referred to the Justice Department.
2: So this is more about defining a process moving forward. Right? Uh so it's not a withholding or there's nothing sort of punitive in the discussion.
1: So the discussion has been very constructive. They've been giving us, you know, Applauses for product and delivery and price point. Applause. Uh, is something that they actually appreciate. Um, you know, in terms of closing the audit, is, you know, we don't know, right? Because we need the payer to
0: sort of go through their internal checks and balances, and compliance is is a huge deal with any uh, health plan, right? And Especially when you're working with the federal government.
1: Uh, so, It has to go through their internal compliance and and so on. But again, it's not us presenting something or them reviewing something. It's
3: actually them and us developing something together.
1: Yeah, well, the thing they're developing together apparently is an investigation by the Justice Department. Next time you hear a company is getting applauses, I guess what that means is they're getting referred to the Justice Department for criminal investigation for insurance fraud, duly noted. I like that redefinition. All right, well, coming up, we're going to talk to a company that's got something a little more positive for our Thanksgiving feast here. Uh, a company that's coming to the public market short, soon through a SPAC with our friend, DMY Technologies, uh, Nicolo De Masi. Uh And a, a company that I've actually followed for a long time as a private company, Planet, uh, formerly known as Planet Labs. CEO Will Marshall uh, is going to join us, and it is a super cool company way ahead in the space race. And as I mentioned, um, about to be listed in a public spec. We're going to talk to the CEO and Nicola Debassi as well, right after this.
0: The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more, build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's
1: dot com to learn more. All right, welcome to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by Will Marshall, who is the CEO of a company that Niccolo Damaso, our old friend and frequent guest is, uh, and importantly, investor in the Business Podcast Network, uh, is joining us uh, and bringing to the public markets. Um, Niccolo, tell me what it is about this company uh, that seemed like the right idea at the right time.
3: I've actually been pursuing uh, Planet Corey since our first back. this is our fourth, and I like to say that we get better at it every, every transaction. Um, Planet is a truly remarkable business. We think it's important for humanity and the Fortune 500 alike. Believe it or not, Corey, it's it, it's a business that has the largest competitive lead we've ever seen. Um, so you're probably used to software businesses having kind of a one-year coding advantage in Planet's, and that's usually fatal, by the way, for everybody else in the space. In Planet's case, they've got we we estimate a five to seven-year lead over anybody else trying to build up a constellation of the 200 satellites they have today. It is a truly commanding position, very high barriers to entry, uh, and most importantly, you know, whilst this business kind of looks like, uh, I, I, I like to call it Apple in the sky, it's a data company at its core. So they use their hardware platform and their software expertise to deliver data, much like a Bloomberg terminal or kind of like Google does uh, for more, more, more terrestrial activities. But Planet is effectively indexing the entire earth every day and making it searchable. Um, They're serious about software, so they build their own hardware. They're a vertically integrated business. So Will and team pioneered Agile Aerospace and they're able to actually do everything from build their own satellites, um, to think about them, design them in-house, all from San Francisco. We love the high return on invested capital this company has demonstrated the past 11 years. And they're going to have uh, a tremendous amount of capital after the transaction closes uh, on December 3rd, uh, 4th, 5th, 6th, with which to, to invest in high ROI activities like growing their sales team, growing their software business. Um, last thing I'll say, Corey, is strong backers, CPPIB, BlackRock, Coke, Mark Benioff, is it's his per- largest personal investment. Uh, this is a business that we think is going to be the most valuable in the entire space category because all the value we think is going to be in the data, uh, and Will Marshall, who's a fellow physicist, of course, is part of the sustainability revolution. Uh, we expect that their data is going to be almost the standard requirement for everybody globally including governments looking to track climate change emissions uh, and how they're doing against the goals they've just agreed uh, in Scotland a few days ago.
1: Yeah, um, Will, I was—I uh, think we first—I was trying to remember when we started this uh, this little chat here. Uh, our first encounter and in Planet was kind of really early days at Planet, um, uh, as I recall. And it was I, I was looking at it sort of as a uh, not necessarily a project, but as a as a the initial principal business use case was examining what was happening on in, on crops and individual farms, and really understanding uh, from space what was happening and what had happened over time in certain plots of land. Down to kind of small levels. Is that, is that a fair way to look at the business?
4: Yeah. I mean, so a quick snapshot of the planet is that we have 200 satellites that image the entire Earth every day. And yes, uh, a- agriculture is one of the biggest applications of that. 25% of the landmass of the Earth is agricultural land. And we can help, uh, In ev- we can tell crop type and crop yield in every three by three meter box. That enables the farmers to then decide where to add fertilizer, when to add water, when to harvest. It's called precision agriculture or digital agriculture, and it helps right. them improve crop yields by twenty or forty percent. And we can do so. We mainly work with the big ag companies that provide that intelligence to 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 um, farmers. But that's only one of you know uh, dozens of applications of the satellite data. Uh, but it is our biggest market.
1: Well, and, and, and I want I don't want to one hundred percent get to the larger. Uh, all the things the company can do. But I think when we focus on those individual use cases it starts to make sense Why taking pictures from sure. the space uh, has some functionality and there's change involved in this. So uh, I have a cousin who's about my age. He's the third generation to farm the same plot of land mm-hmm. in Iowa. The farm has gotten a lot bigger. They've acquired a lot of land around them over the, over the decades, but there are spots, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those rare spots in, in, in Iowa where there's actually a hill. And there's actually, it's not completely flat everywhere. And so there are different parts of that plot of land that have different uh, uses of water. But I suspect, if my conservative cousin will admit to climate change, and he would know about it better than any of us, that, uh, 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 that what that piece of land that we should know in our family for the last, call it 80 years, probably isn't as knowable anymore because climate change is really changing what is, available in terms of the water the natural irrigation and even artificial irrigation that has governed that land for uh, generations
4: yeah i mean look soil health has been been depleted um we are seeing climatic events it is caused by humans there's not there's not a discussion about that anymore and satellite data is what you need to to respond because um it enables you to have that intelligence to more smartly use your resources and adapt to climatic events
1: So what are the other business use cases of the 200 satellites?
4: Yeah, so um, uh, a few just uh, off the top. Um, uh, Civil government, they use it for things like disaster response, so floods, fires. Recently helping the government in Germany uh, respond to the unprecedented floods there, both for the first responders and to help them to assess the risk for for future floods and damage. Um, and we've been recently working with the state of California with the with the fires in uh, the big wildfires here, helping them again with first responders and work to try and prevent future megafires uh, like clearing and fire lanes and things this sort of thing. We also work Wait, with state say, and local. Lo- yeah. Let's ahead. drill.
1: Let's drill down to the, the, the fire example. What, what, tell me more about how that works.
4: Yeah. So uh, we. Image the whole planet every day, and we can see any fire the Pacific uh, where is the fire front, uh, where is the smoke blowing, uh, which when is it going to approach which hill, and then that that then helps the f- uh, firefighters literally determine where should they put people to put it up. So that's the sort of real time piece. And then there's a the second piece, which is because we can tell vegetation mass because of our spectral bands, we can actually tell where is the woods and fodder. We mapped every tree in California. Um, we can tell where's the fodder for future megafires, and then help their precision interventions to help uh, prevent megafires in the future.
1: It's it's fascinating stuff. Um, um, how much has it changed? You know, since we first talked, my goodness, it's at least five, five years, if time. not mm-hmm. seven years ago. Um, presumably, there's technologies available to you that weren't available five or seven years ago
4: well so so firstly we completed our uh, goal of imaging the whole world every day we got to that about a year or two after we spoke um, so that involved launching all these all the rest of the satellites to complete the system and we've now collected 1500 images for every point on the Earth's landmass so it's a, a deep stack of imagery from which to train algorithms which is what i'd say is the main answer to your question the huge evolution of the last few years has been on the ai um, especially in computer vision, which is the subfield of AI that's all dealing with extracting information out of imagery. And so, uh, you know, just like uh, the, the computer vision developed by Google and Apple and Facebook and others for extracting videos, uh, for, uh, the cats and dogs out of right, pictures right. and videos, we can extract it, it, it features from our imagery. There's a road, there's a plane, this is a train, this is a ship, this is a house. And then we can do that on an automated basis. Uh, so uh, we can detect all those objects around the planet every day and help people make smarter decisions without having to look at all the images.
1: It's, I mean, that's that's uh, the magic, right? With all of the data you capture, it's really charming. Well, for just imaging the Earth, I'm going to use the example that we used when we first talked seven or eight years ago. So when, longer ago than that, let's call it 15 years ago, I had actually rented out some satellite time or some satellite imagery I was short. It was when I was a hedge fund manager, and I was short this company that claimed to be drilling an oil well to a certain depth. And I had satellites going overhead to figure out if they were actually using as much casing uh, to case the well that to suggest that they actually were going deeper than they had gone in the past, or if they were just lying in press releases to get the stock price to go up late, uh, go up more. I think it was the latter, and the the satellite imagery uh, sort of proved that, but. There weren't a lot of satellites going over this this third world country, and you know uh, where they claim to be drilling this well. The advantage of the stock promotion was that no one was there to check the actual truth. And indeed, there weren't a lot of satellites going over there. I guess the world or space is no longer looks like what it did in two thousand, you know, seven two thousand eight when I was short that stock.
4: No, it sure doesn't. There's been a lot of developments in space since then. We've seen rockets uh, come down in cost, especially with SpaceX. But um, and that's, that's caused about a four x reduction in the cost of launch. But even more dramatically, the capabilities in a satellite have gone up about a thousand fold for a given cost. The cost performance of satellites has increased a thousand fold in the last five to ten years, which is dramatic, right? This is like an industry going. Why? It's like the ma- it's Why? like the mainframe to desktop revolution in computing. Well, it's exactly because of the underlying developments in Moore's law. What is happening is. Um, the miniaturization of but electronics. But Moore's,
1: Moore's law hasn't increased, but Moore's law hasn't increased a thousand percent in the last five to 10 years.
4: Well, it's getting there. It's got, it goes up a lot. There's a, it's a combination of two things. So it's firstly that, and that's the dominant thing. And that is what enables us to get our satellites to produce better and better data sets. So just last year, we improved the amount of data collection from our satellites 5x over the previous year by adding more wow. spectral bands, increasing the radio speeds, increasing the camera size. We went from a 29 megapixel camera to a 47 megapixel ca- camera, et cetera, et cetera. But you're right that there was a, a step a, a jump in there that happened because of a different factor, which is that uh, the space industry had been taking a very risk-averse approach and they'd be designing satellites um, uh, over a decade, launching them. Cost, they cost a billion dollars and everything had to work right and then they would last 20 years. Well, that's because the space industry took this very low-risk approach of saying it's got to work. Nine, you know, We're spending a billion dollars, so we better make it work. We've taken a very different risk approach, um, which is we put up a lot of satellites, and if one fails, it's not the end of the world. We just swap it out like you would with the server farm. And that enables us to take the latest technology. See, when I was at NASA and even in the other earth imaging companies, they use antiquated uh, technology. And the reason is that if you take a risk approach, that it's got to work. The only things you put on the satellite are the things that you've already tested in space that work. Well, then that means you just keep on using the old technology. <laughs> right. Literally the last Mars probe that NASA sent, which has a, uh, which cost two and a half billion dollars. The best camera has is a two me- megapixel camera, which is like nineties style <laughs> technology. And the best radio uh, at, at, at processor speed is like a is like a, a 30 megahertz processor. You can't even find a 30 megahertz processor <laughs> these days. They have to keep special lines right, open right. And still producing chips that, that no one else is even interested in. So you can take a risk approach of saying, we've got to have it exactly work every time with 99% probability of success. Or you can say, well, I don't mind a few failures. I don't mind if it's five or 10% probability of failure. I prefer to have the better technology. So, we treat space like Moore's Law. Right. And just like you don't want a three year old phone in your back pocket, you don't want a three year old satellite in space. Uh, they're obsolete. So, we're constantly iterating to have the best systems in orbit. And that has re- enabled us to do this 1000x improvement in cost performance of satellites.
1: Niccolo, let me ask you about when we look at the kind of, because um, I know when you've done these specs and your specs have been so successful, and, and um, uh, you know, I, they they performed well in the market, I should say. I don't remove any sort of judgment, my own judgment for that. But the specs have done so well, um, I think because the businesses underlying have done well. And that means you've done the work to figure out where the most value is in the sectors that they are in. So, therefore, let me ask you, where is the most value uh, in the business of space?
3: Yeah, we believe firmly it's, uh, it's in the data, Corey. We don't think there's value in tourism long term. We think getting a, a hitchhiker's guide to getting things into orbit, orbit, if you will, is getting commoditized. Uh, and, and to this extent, we believe that Will is in a quasi-monopolistic position. Um, he has such a commanding lead. If you look at the total number of satellites, the total amount of data he's got, the total size of his data repository of the past you know, five, six, seven, eight years he's been collecting to train AI algorithms, it's really just night and day. Um, in the tech markets, Corey, as you're a student, that, you know success begets success. Network effects are very, very strong, and we expect that the 800-pound gorilla that is Planet today will end up being the 900 and thousand-pound gorilla in the coming years. Particularly as this IPO raises their profile, enables right. them to become effectively a household name, improves attraction, you know, and retention of talent. Already going well, by the way, because of the mission, and it gives them capital and the currency to also grow inorganically, not just uh, organically. So I think, Corey, oh, no. you can hold me to this. I expect Planet will be one of, if not the most valuable space business in the coming decade, overall.
1: I, I, I wish you well. Uh, prove to me that might be the case. So I, I, all right, I get these guys are good. I get these guys have got the data. I get these guys have been doing it for a while. But why is this the segment? Like, why isn't space tourism a bigger business? Why isn't the management of other people's satellites a bigger business? Why the hell? Why isn't... Setting candles on fire and sending this shit up to the moon, or near, <laughs> or out further, not to the moon, to the sky, to low Earth or far Earth orbit. Why isn't that a better business?
4: I, let me jump. Yeah, in. Will and I but both have
3: opinions look. of this one, Sorry. but will Will you you go first? Will,
4: yeah. I mean, look. Go ahead, look, Will. Fundamentally, um, space tourism is is exciting. I don't think it's a huge market. I, I um, the, the, the the big markets of the planet are the to do with the Earth economy. Okay, so. The, the biggest two transitions of the global economy uh, is the digital transformation of industries and the sustainable transformation of industries. And planet's data is relevant to both. So digital transformation is where big data and AI allowing those uh, 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 um, traditional industries to modernize, like in agriculture. That's example we just talked about. Tens of percent improvement in efficiency to a big trillion dollar industry is a big deal. And um, in in sustainability transformation, if we want to move to a sustainable economy, we've got to track natural capital. What we've got to do is basically put natural capital into the economic system. All the countries and all the companies that are making their sustainability targets, the very next step is measurement. They've got to find where are they, where are they going? And that's where satellite data comes in. As Like Bloomberg, who just gave a $25 million grant towards our next generation of satellite systems, um, always likes to say, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And so planet data is fundamental to the transition to a sustainable economy. Look, the, um, I think the reduction in launch costs of four x and the reduction in, in increasing cost capability of satellites by 1,000, that's really exciting. But you know what's more exciting than either of those two things? It's the data. <laughs> the data is what's powering right. the, the, the global economy. The Economist quit data is the new oil. And I think that is a really good, you know, analogy. Oil powers lots of industries, you know, car industries, transportation, maritime, um, various manufacturing systems. Um, you have to refine it to a certain level to make it work. But once you do, it enables lots of industries. The only difference with data is that a, it's not dirty, um, it's it's clean, and and b. Um, uh, it, 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 you can use it multiple times. You can only use a gallon of petrol once. You can use uh, a set of data multiple times, yeah. and so it's a one-to-many oh, and it's business. also about
1: the and it's about the usage of it and the understanding of it, right? I've always said, yeah. like you know, as much as I love the oil business, you know, you can only make so much money in oil. There's a lot more money to be made off oil, right? It's the things that you do with it, whether it's mm-hmm. you know plastics or cars or whatever. You know, those are those are better businesses and bigger businesses. Um, yeah. Niccolo, uh, let me ask you just from a financial engineering standpoint, not engineering, but how did you get these guys to sign up with you? I mean, this has been a hotly pursued company for a long time.
3: Well, look, I mean, we are the number one best performing SPAC franchise in the world. Uh, our, our investor base is strong. And my partner, Harry, and I have shown that we know how to obviously set up Great companies to be successful public companies, particularly in the first few earnings calls in the first you know year or two, where right. we're really sort of the the men are sort of from the boys, as they say. Um, I'd like to think that that uh, Will feels we've added value in the in this SPAC IBO process and obviously in the, in the capital raise and uh, and hopefully we will continue to do the same. Uh, you know, as as board members, um, you're right that you know Planet had every option under the sun. It's a high quality team, high quality asset. I mean, very very unique asset of really a market of one uh, when it comes to whole earth daily scan or or twice daily scan. Um, Fortunately, the SPAC process has some advantages if you're a, you know, top three, top five sponsor, uh, allows us to bring in some strategic capital, allows us to think carefully who we want to have as a shareholder base, allows us to, you know, to to have a much more open IPO process, Corey. Uh, There's a lot of retail interest in Planet because, look, there's 130,000 Twitter followers Everyone cares about climate change. No one knows how to get involved in helping the planet. This is an IPO where, you know, you're getting involved in helping the planet here uh, by becoming a shareholder. And we've seen the momentum in the stock, uh, I think, as both retail institutions have have begun to, to hear the story and hear about, you know, the tremendous future this company has in the next decade.
1: Well, it's just amazing where we've gone in, you know, call it 20 years since what was it called keyhole earth viewer cds would we'll show you some pictures from space and and you know now this is just amazing stuff with planet it'll be interesting to see um will marshall what you and the people at planet are able to do with all of this data um and we'll certainly watch the company uh and the and the stock for that matter nicolo Demasi, uh, who founded the company is bringing the company uh, public through us back uh, thanks to dmy technology and all of the dmy efforts and will marshall ceo of planet uh, formerly Planet Labs, is that right? Yeah, well, so Labs? we
4: go with Planet, absolutely. And it's going to be PL on the New York Stock Exchange, which is excited about uh, right now. Of course, the, the, the DMY is DMYQ, uh, but it transition to that. Look, I think like Nicholas said, it's going to be exciting. Um, we've got the space piece, which is exciting for people. Um, but most importantly, we're a data company that I think a lot of people will see the value of. And then the particular relevance to sustainability. Is huge, and the whole world is turning its attention to that. And it's not just a small matter. I just came back from the climate conference in Glasgow, and all the commitments need our data. Whether it's ending deforestation, the emissions reductions, protecting the oceans, they all need our data. And uh, uh, we're excited to help catalyze the transition to a sustainable economy.
1: Well, God knows we all need that to work. Nicola DiMasi of DMY and Will Marshall of Planet. We're coming up next on The Drill Down, The Drill Down. We've got one number that's going to tell you a whole lot about Planet, when The Drill Down continues.
0: The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era.
1: A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to Drill Down every day. You can listen to all of our old shows, our new shows, whatever you want. You can do that on your smart speaker by saying to your smart speaker, play the latest Drill Down podcast and you'll hear our most recent show.
0: And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and to connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All
1: right, we're back with the Drill & Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, here's a number. The number of satellites already launched by Planet is super impressive. You know, we have so many of these companies that go public, particularly through SPACs, where they're going to make an electric car, they're going to launch a rocket ship, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna. These guys have already done it. They have launched, and here's that number, 462 satellites. Wow. Just super impressive that they've already got this business up and going. Um, the the degree to which they cover the earth and that they can see so many things and, and have 30 plus petabytes of, of data on the earth all machine learning analyzed so you can kind of pick out what you need and not have to source through it. I think that's the real secret sauce. It'll be interesting to see how they grow this business now that we'll be able to see quarterly numbers. I don't care how the stock performs. I, I These are very nice guys. I hope the very best for them. Obviously, I'm totally biased because Niccolò Demasi has been both a friend and an investor in the Business Podcast Network. Um, so I wish him well, but I don't really care how the stock performs. I'll be really curious to watch how this business grows and we can see that more because it's a public company. That's Isn't it
0: comforting advice. to just know that Wherever you are in the world, look up, and planet's watching you. Someone's watching you at all of
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Feeding,
3: Feeding the, the algorithm.
1: The great algorithm in the sky. What's that, what's that uh, Pharrell tune with the uh, I'm happy? Party like a room without a roof? <laughs> <laughs> if, yeah. If planet's coming over aboard, ab- 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 you, you might want that roof after all, Pharrell. Planet's invited to every party. They're watching everything happen. So are we here at the Drilldown Podcast. We're trying to keep an eye on everything. Let us know what we're missing. Hit us up on the Twitter at DrilldownPod. We'd love to know what you think. We're grateful for your time, Isaac Webster. Happy Thanksgiving. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well up in Portland. Hope you enjoy yourself. Hope all our listeners enjoy themselves as well. I'm Corey Johnson. You've been listening to The Drilldown, which is a production of the Business Podcast Network.